everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We've got a okay, so it's next week or this week, this week, the 18th and 19th of November. There'll be a little online conference for if you want to take part. No matter where you are, you can do it. Uh, you can take part, and I encourage you to do so. I'm going to be there teaching a few other good people, so go check it out. You can learn about it at pnwa.org. All right, so something a little different today. My guest, well, it fell through, and I thought of just taking the week off, but no, 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 not that. Can't do that. So instead, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little story. That's what I'm going to do. Today's going to be a story about, well, success and failure and how these two things are, are linked Love a good story, and uh, I love telling them. I love hearing them, and I thought this might be useful. So, so sit back, relax, get a cup of tea, and uh, I'll share the story with you. Enjoy. All right. So, if you know anything about me, uh, if you've Listen to this show if you've read my any of my books or if you are a fan of my column for Author Magazine. You know that uh, for a while I wrote novels and waited tables to support my family. And that the novel writing, while I stuck with it, did it every day, wrote six days a week, every morning for two hours a day, uh, I'd never really had success with it. Got close, got close, but never found success. And it was it was difficult, I got to say. I found the novel writing difficult for reasons I couldn't totally pinpoint. But it was very frustrating, very disappointing. But really, there was no plan B for me. Uh, writing was really all I was ever going to do. Uh, it was my ticket out. It was my ticket to freedom, to feeling good about myself, really. Uh, and it was years, decades, ultimately, of this kind of just grinding frustration and disappointment. And that was a big part of the foundation of my, the work that I do now. But for a while, it was just what I was living with. And so that had always been true. And also, you may know that eventually I, I changed, I shifted from writing fiction to creative nonfiction to what I'm doing now. It took me a long time to make that change, however, and it was an important one. But in the middle of all that, and as some of you also may know, uh, I had kids, and one of those kids was, uh, whom I will call Jack, was on the spectrum, is on the spectrum. And raising him was a big part of the learning that I had to do uh, as just as a person, certainly as a parent, but just as a person, as a creative person too, because the uh, kids on the spectrum, they are, and Jack is certainly one example of this, but this is largely true of all of them. They're, they're not that interested in doing things 
just because an adult tells them to, which is kind of how I operate and how a lot of kids operated, but and certainly how schools operate. But Jack didn't understand why he should do something just because someone told him to do it. And so, and so if he didn't want to do it, he wasn't going to do it. And so much of school is saying to kids, okay, now do this, now do that, now stop doing that, now go do this other thing. Write about this, now write about that, learn about this, read that. And it was just too much for him. He couldn't bear it. And school was getting very, very, very difficult for him. And he was getting more and more difficult at home. And by the time he was 12, we were just about the end of our rope with him at school. He would eventually, we'd have to pull him out. But it was getting hard with him, and he was getting more and more difficult to deal with. And one day, I'm out in the backyard with him, and we just got into it, I mean, as much as you can with a 12-year-old kid. And I got mad at him, and he got mad at me, and I finally just lost it. I was like, you know what, Jack? You're not the only one in this world who suffers. You're not the only one in this world who has a hard time. And he said, oh, please, he said to me, you suffer? I was like, yes, I I suffer. I'm a person. Of course I suffer. I have all kinds of problems. At which point, he marched over to me, grabbed me by the wrist, and said, look me in the eye with his furious little 12-year-old face. Look me in the eye and said, tell me your pain. That's what he said to me. Tell me your pain. Well, I knew I had to honor this request. And so he, 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 still holding on to my wrist, he led me over to our old rotting deck in our backyard and sat down next to me. He said, tell it to me. Tell me your pain. So I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell him? Well, I didn't have to think long before I knew. And I remembered a time when I was 12, just turned 13, literally the same age as he was. And I was with my father. And my father was an interesting guy who was raised in Missouri, was an Eagle Scout, very good student, very bright guy, went to college, then eventually went to Harvard Divinity School, graduated from Harvard Divinity School, married my mom, but then realized he didn't want to be a minister, left that, started becoming a salesman, decided to become a salesman. This is the story I was telling him. This is the story I told him about dad, about his grandfather, my dad. And he wasn't that good at it. He wasn't. Interestingly, my, my dad's favorite play was Death of a Salesman. That's right. That, he just loved that play. Uh, I don't know if that he ever saw the significance of that. But there it was. So he tried to be a salesman. He divorced my mom, got married again, got divorced again. Kept trying to be a salesman and, the, and was just going from one job to another to another. He even tried selling Encyclopedia Britannica door to door. He actually tried to do this. And I was with him. God knows why. I was with him when one time when he went out door to door. And there he was, you know, talking to some stranger, trying to convince her that she needed these books, these ex- big expensive books, and her closing the door in his face. It was humiliating. Well, he went from job to job, and it got worse and worse, and he went from apartment to apartment, and he just finally had reached rock bottom, he had no money, and he, and he was going to lose his apartment, but the guy who, who, who rented the apartment to him liked my dad and sort of took pity on him and said, well, I've got this other place you can stay. 
on a place called Bergen Street in Providence, Rhode Island, where we lived. My dad said, okay. And I was with him the day he went to see the apartment for the first time. And so there we were. We went over. He drove me over to this place, and it was just, it was the end of the world to me, this corner of Providence, just chain-link fences and rotting, rusted cars on cinder blocks on the sidewalk and barking dogs and garbage collecting in the in the parking lot and there was this little rickety building and he had the keys and he opened the front door we went up the steps these creaky steps smelling of dust and paint we go into this apartment they he had just cleaned it out it obviously just been painted could smell the paint inside and still didn't feel clean and it was sort of oddly sloped up on the second floor my dad the the ex eagle scout the harvard grad stood there in the middle of this nodded stoically and said okay let's go so we go back down to his car we're sitting in his car and and i could feel something missing i didn't know what it was but there was something missing there in the car with my dad, this car that he would, uh, well, pretty soon he would be clean. I'd watch him uh, clean this car as it was uh, about to be repossessed by the repo men. This car that broken down and junky to begin with. Anyway, we sat in this car, the two of us, and he turned to me. He said, if it's okay, I'm going to cry now. And he did. He just started bawling. I'd never seen him cry like this. And I looked away and didn't know what to make of it. It was scary. It was failure. It was failure. It was just, I mean, he was bankrupt, virtually homeless. Nothing had worked. Marriages hadn't worked. Jobs hadn't worked. Nothing was working. And he just started crying. Now, that story had lived in my mind for 30 years. That story was where I, that was the end of the story in my mind, normally. And it was a portrait of failure that had stayed with me and terrified me in a way. I lived not wanting to experience that. I lived trying to avoid that, that sight of failure, the shame of it, the sadness of it, the sort of patheticness of it. That's the story that lived in my mind. But I told Jack that much of it, but I knew I couldn't end it there. I knew this much about storytelling because I wasn't going to just leave him with that. I wanted him to know my pain, and that was, in many ways, that story was symbolic of my own pain, my own fear about failure. But I couldn't leave him with that. It's no good. And so for the first time, in a way, since I, and I hadn't really told that story hardly at all, ever, I told him more of the story. Of course, first, Jack, he said, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. It must be so horrible. I said, it was. It was horrible. But I said to him, it didn't end there. That's not the end of the story. Because after that, my dad goes back to college and learns how to become a computer programmer. This is in the 70s. And in a few years, he's got a job. He's got a new car. got a house remarried, kept going. It wasn't the end. 
And when I told Jack that story in that way, it changed it for me. And I also realized something else. And this is the important thing, I think, for every writer to understand about failure. Why was my dad weeping? And what was missing in the car? Well, my dad was always a man who had an idea. Kind of like when you were with my dad, he always had some idea bubbling in him. And in that moment, he had no idea. In that moment, he had no ideas. And that's because he had reached the end of the idea of being a salesman. He had reached the end of all he thought he could get from it. All he hoped to gain from the dream of being a salesman. But just because the idea didn't work out didn't mean the dream of what he hoped to gain from it died with it. In other words, he wanted success, of course. He wanted comfort, of course. He wanted money. He wanted something he could be work that he could be proud of. All still potential. They just weren't all those things he wanted just weren't going to come from the dream, from the idea of being a salesman. And I had to go through this myself. There was the dream of publishing success, but there was more than just that, more than the freedom from not waiting tables anymore. It was the dream of sharing my work, of sitting down and being creative, of being paid to be creative, of sharing what mattered most to me with other people. I had to, I reached the end of the dream of writing novels to get that. And I just turned to something else to find the same thing. And as a writer, if you are a writer, you go through this all the time. Every time you finish a sentence or a paragraph or a page or even maybe an entire draft of a book and you reread it and you realize, no, this isn't going to work. Got to try again. For a moment, you too have to grieve like my father did in the car. You have to grieve in some small way what you hoped you would get from that idea, from that sentence, from that paragraph, from that scene, from that story. What the sense of satisfaction, the sense of sharing something, of, of seeing this creative idea brought to conclusion. That idea didn't work. And so for a moment, you have to grieve and let it go and get the next idea because another idea comes and another idea comes, like another job comes, like another woman comes because my father did remarry and then divorce and then remarried again and still married to this day. Another, another, another. That's all failure. Failure. What we call failure is the end of an idea, but not the end of the dream. Do not attach the dream to the idea. The dream is looking for its correct shape. And as writers, you are always dreaming and the new ideas, finding the new idea for the dream, finding a new idea for the dream, finding the new idea for the dream. We're always dealing with success and failure with learning the truth about what we're trying to share. You're practiced at it, whether you understand it or not. If you've ever written, you're practiced at it. And so don't worry about what we call failure. It's just learning. Just focus on the dream, whatever that is, the thing that's looking for shape. Just focus on that and let the next idea come. And if this one doesn't work, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know it feels like it does, but it doesn't. There's just another idea and another idea and another idea. And that's how it works. All right, so there you go. There you go, a little story. Hope that was helpful. 
It was helpful to me when I told it to myself. And that's how I always judge the stories. Did they help me? Did they move me? So there you go. There you go. Little story. Listen, I won't see you for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I won't be, be joining you for the week of Thanksgiving, but I'll be back after that. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. To all of you out there, you know, look, there's no failure. There's no failure. It's just the end of ideas. So in the meantime, go find something you love to do. Anything at all. Go find something you love to do and do it. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.